Jesus Christ, that as we walk through the Gospel of John, that your faith will be strengthened and that you will be encouraged and that is encouraged in who Jesus Christ is. And also that you will listen to this with brand new ears. A lot of this that we're walking through, many of us, if we've been raised in church for any amount of time, we've heard before. And so when we approach those passages, I hope you'll listen and see them with brand new eyes, brand new ears, and allow the Word of God to speak into your life. As Americans, we celebrate some really big holidays, don't we? What's the next holiday that is already creeping into the stores already? What holiday are we about to celebrate in two and a half months? Christmas, right? We're getting ready to walk into Christmas. Here we are. It's two and a half months still. I mean, two and a half months ago, it was July. And now we're talking about Christmas. It's pretty unbelievable to go into the department stores and see Christmas decorations. But that's kind of the big holiday uh, for, uh, for, for us here in the United States is Christmas. Well, the Jewish people, they had a really big holiday. It was bigger than Christmas. It was called the Passover. It was a holiday or a festival called the Passover. And they would celebrate something very significant in their history. Back when the nation of Israel, they were, under, they were enslaved by the nation of Egypt, God sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt. Well, just before God led them out of Egypt, they had a night where God told them to kill a lamb. They killed a lamb and they took its blood and they painted its blood over the doorpost and on the, on the side post of that door. Because God was going to send one more plague, one more judgment onto the nation of Egypt. And he told his people, if you will listen, if you will obey, you will follow me and kill this lamb and put its blood across its door, then, the, then death will pass over you. After that, they celebrated Passover throughout its history. They still do. They celebrated Passover as a reminder of what God had done there in Egypt and led them out of Israel, or led them out of Egypt, where they received their freedom. It was kind of like their 4th of July, but even bigger. Well, we're going to see an account of when Jesus, Jesus was God, we've talked about that, we've established that, he's, that he was deity, he was God, he was equally God and equally man. And as a man, he was born of Jewish heritage. The Old Testament prophets prophesied of that, that God used his covenant people Israel to have the Messiah come. Well, since Jesus was an Israelite, he was a Jewish man, he celebrated this festival as well, this festival Passover. So we're going to see this account, and something really interesting happened when Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So let's find out what happened. Let's look there in verse 13. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. He also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Whoa, time out. What in the world is going on here? I thought Jesus was a really nice guy. I thought Jesus, you know, was kind of meek, 
kind of mild-mannered, passive. I mean, if we see the artwork throughout church history, that's kind of how he's portrayed, right? Kind of this meek, passive man. But here we see here in John chapter 2, for lack of a better term, Jesus is throwing a fit. He's throwing a fit. I was talking uh, this week. I was part of a church revitalization conference and assessments and, and workshops. And a friend of mine who's a church revitalization pastor in Dallas, we were talking about this passage, talking about what we we're preaching through. And he said, in Texas, they would say, he's, he, Jesus was causing a ruckus here. <laughs> Jesus was throwing a fit. What's going on here? I thought Jesus was this nice, passive man. Well, here's the situation. Jesus goes to Jerusalem right about when the Jewish Passover was about to start. So he enters the, the temple and he sees people sell, selling livestock and doves. And along with these animals, like put yourself there. What are you seeing here as you read this passage? Along with the animals, he discovers money changers there. So what does this mean? Because Jesus is getting really angry about this. He's throwing a hissy fit. He's having a temper tantrum. And see what had happened, people from all over the area and sometimes all over the world had descended upon Jerusalem for the Passover. And one of the requirements, if you were a Jewish person celebrating uh, the Passover, you were required to offer a sacrifice. Well, a lot of these people traveled many, many miles to get to Jerusalem. They had to travel a long, a long way. And so if you were required to bring an animal sacrifice, you would have had to travel with an animal. How many of you have ever had to travel with an animal? It is not an easy process. I remember growing up, we had a dog. He was a mutt. We got him from the pound. I was four years old. And my parents, we adopted this mutt from the pound uh, my parents made the mistake of taking me to the pound and seeing all the dogs, and I got a dog. He was a mutt. I don't know what he was. He was just everything. And I named him Barkley. Why I named him Barkley, I don't know. I don't know if it was for Charles or what it was, but I named him Barkley. And one time, we were going down to see my grandparents. They lived in Tyler, Texas. So we were going to drive from Kansas City down to Tyler. I think we were going down for Thanksgiving or Christmas. I don't remember what it was for. But we had this dog, and this dog was freaking out in the car. I was probably seven or eight at the time. And this dog was just having a hard time. I mean, he was, he was panning. We were having to stop constantly because dogs had to do what dogs have to do. And we had to stop constantly. And, my, and we would drive at night because I was the oldest of, of four. And so with my siblings, it was just easy for, easier for my parents just to drive all, all night down to Tyler. And so my dad still tells the story of how Barkley was sitting up in the back seat and all the way from Kansas City all the way to Texas, that dog was just panting on the back of his neck, panting. And that was about a nine and a half hour trip from Kansas City to Tyler. So you can imagine my dad's frustration. It is never easy to travel with an animal. It never is easy to travel with an animal. So you can imagine these people are going to have to make this journey to Jerusalem with an animal. and It would have been challenging to do that. So these people coming to Jerusalem, many of them, they wouldn't haul an animal to Jerusalem. They would just go to Jerusalem and buy one to sacrifice. It was just easier to do it that way. So they show up there at the temple. And when you would arrive at the temple there in Jerusalem, you had to pay a temple tax. You had to pay. You had to pay a temple tax to help with the upkeep of the temple, to pay the priests and everyone there. So you would have to pay a temple tax. But here's the problem. 
the temple had its own special currency. So when you arrived to pay this tax, you would have to arrive and you would have to exchange your money for a temple currency. And then you'd take that money and pay the temple tax. All right. Kind of a complicated process. So then what you had, Jesus is walking in there and here's what was happening. You had merchants selling animals for sacrifices. Money traders exchanging money. Now understand there was nothing wrong with this initially. You saw this throughout Old Testament history. People selling animals, exchanging money. But here's the problem. Historically, this was done away from the temple. Not in the temple, but outside the temple. Where it wouldn't be a distraction for the worship that was going on. And it was also done in a way, in a way where it wouldn't exploit people who had come to worship. But as the years had gone by, this practice of selling the animals and exchanging money moved into the temple. And so you can imagine what would happen there. They moved the animals into the temple. I'm sure, I'm sure that was a distraction for worship. They hiked the prices up on the animals, like you would go to a ball game and eat a hot dog for six bucks. Same thing here. They'd hike the prices up on the animals, and these merchants would pocket the, the profit. Then the money changers, they would charge a really high exchange rate, and these guys would capitalize on a religious holiday. It's not like we see that today, do we? It's people capitalizing on a religious holiday. They were exploiting the worship of God. They had made the temple a place of worship, like a marketplace, or in our terms today, a shopping mall. That's what they had made it. And Jesus sees all this, and he is not happy about it at all. So all of a sudden, you see Jesus here. He goes off to the side, and he starts to make, off a, whip, make a whip. And when you see a guy go off to the side and start making a whip, something's about to happen. Something's about to happen here. And he takes that whip, and he begins to drive the animals and the merchants out. He takes the tables and he turns the money changers, the money traders' tables over. And he's shouting. Animals are running. Coins are hitting that pavement. And he's yelling out, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. That's not the image we receive throughout church history of Jesus, is it? We see Jesus as a soft, gentle Jesus. But we have to remember who Jesus was. What was his occupation? He's a carpenter. He's a man that worked with his hands. He was strong. I have no doubt that Jesus was built. And so Jesus is a built, he's a carpenter, a construction worker, a blue-collar guy. And Jesus was a man's man. He's strong, he's passionate, and he's clearing this place out. Why? What was his motive in doing this? Because they had cheapened the worship of God. They had made the worship of God cheap. And as we have come to discover, since Jesus is equally God and equally man, these people had cheapened the worship of himself. They had made worship an event, a place to make money. And by doing this, they were robbing God of his glory. So let's keep going. Look at verse 17. His disciples, they see all this. And this is really interesting what the disciples remember about this. Verse 17. And his disciples remembered that it is written, 
zeal for your house will consume me. Now let's push pause here and talk about this for just a minute. The disciples see this and they recall a prophecy written by David in Psalm 69, verse 9. Write that down. You can go back and look at it later. Psalm 69, verse 9. David writes this. David writes, zeal for your house will consume me. And the disciples see this and it all comes together for the disciples in this moment. You see, David is an Old Testament type or picture of Jesus. David's a foreshadowing of the Messiah. And the disciples remember this. And David was consumed with a passion to rebuild the temple. You remember that? Now David didn't get to do that. Who got to do that? Solomon did. But David was filled with that passion. And that passion and that zeal that David had, that was a picture of the zeal and passion that Christ was going to have. And so Jesus here in John 2 is displaying a zeal, a burning passion for the worship and glory of God. Jesus was so passionate about people having a correct understanding of God that he's clearing the temple out. He was removing the distractions, removing the cheapness of worship so that these people could have a correct understanding of the worship, the character, and the glory of God. Now let's zoom out for just a minute. Even more than that, Jesus was passionate about people having a correct understanding of God that he came from the glories of heaven to show the world this is what God is like. Remember that in John chapter 1? Jesus came to show the world what God is like. And Jesus here is saying, look at me because I am God. Jesus came to this earth and he has made a way for the sin and darkness in our lives to be cleared out. So that our understanding of God will not be cheapened or misconstrued. See, here's the reality for each, for each of us here, you and I. We are sinful, we are broken, and because of our sin... Our understanding of the character of God is clouded. When we're born in this world, we don't have a correct understanding of who God is. Our view of God is cheapened. Our understanding of the glory of God doesn't exist. But then Jesus came as God in the flesh to change that. He came, as it said in John chapter 1, as the light in the darkness to shine the light on who God really is, to remove the spiritual darkness so that people could understand who God truly is. So Jesus has come to cleanse our sin, to remove our sin, to drive it out so that we can worship God and he can be glorified in us. You see the picture here, what's happening there in the temple? It's a picture of the gospel. Let's keep going. Verse 18. So the Jews replied to him, What sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore the Jews said, This temple took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So we see here where the Jews come to him. Now, that's not the Jewish people, that's the religious leaders, okay? So don't let that confuse you. The Jewish religious leaders show up 
and whenever they show up, something's a debate's about to happen. So these religious leaders, they show up to Jesus and they start questioning them. They reply to them and they say, what sign are you going to do to show us? To show us? What sign are you going to do? To what? They're basically asking the question, what gives you the right to do this? That's what they're asking. What gives you the right? What do you think you're doing? Now remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. When Jesus performed uh, the miracle there at the wedding of Cana, turning the water into wine, what, how, what does the writer John, he doesn't use the word miracles. What's the word he uses here in this gospel? Signs. He says signs here. So the Jewish leaders here, they say, will you, what sign will you show us for you doing these things? So the Jewish leaders are saying, what miracle are you going to do? What sign are you going to do to to do are you going to do another sign to prove to us you have the right to do this now it's kind of interesting here because apparently jesus had been doing signs these guys had begun to see what jesus was doing they had an awareness of who he was it's interesting here because if these religious leaders are asking jesus to toss out another miracle or sign here they had to at least be thinking they had to at least be considering, this is not some hooligan. This is not some troublemaker here. This has to be at least a heaven-sent prophet. They had to at least have a little bit of an idea. This isn't just some troublemaker, okay? This is someone that's God-sent. And Jesus' response to them, it's a little odd, isn't it? He kind of changes the subject. They're asking him for a sign, that gives him the right to do this. And Jesus kind of changes the subject here, and they're confused by it. What does Jesus say? Destroy this temple, and three days I will raise it up. Well, what did these religious leaders think he was talking about? The actual temple. That temple complex they're in, that's what they think Jesus is talking about. And so they reply back to him, they said, well, buddy, it took 46 years to rebuild this temple. How are you going to raise it back up in three days? They're missing the point here. They don't get it at all. And so Jesus, and that's what they tell Jesus. And see, there's a misunderstanding. And Jesus, what Jesus is actually saying here, and this is, this is an awesome moment. What Jesus is saying, he says, he's saying, people will kill me. And when we understand the gospel narrative, you, the religious leaders, will kill me. But then I will, I will raise back, I will come back to life from the dead in three days. Jesus is saying, I'm going to turn your religious world, Pharisees and Sadducees, I'm going to turn your religious world upside down. These rules that you've created with all its legalistic practices, I'm going to turn it upside down just like I did these money, these money changers tables. You will kill me for it. And on the third day after, I will rise. What a moment here. Jesus is kind of, he's talking a little trash here. He's saying, you're going to kill me, and three days later, I'm going to rise back up. I'm going to take your religious system that you've taken, I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to throw it out. Jesus is saying, because by the virtue of my death and my resurrection, I have the authority I have the, the ability, I have the right to exercise this and make this display. And these Jewish leaders here, they're asking for a sign. They're asking, what authority do you have to clear this temple out? What miracle are you going to do? And Jesus is saying, I just did. What I just did in this temple, this is who I am. And they miss it. But look at verse 22. So, when he was raised from the dead, 
His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Verse 22 is massive. It's a little bit of foreshadowing there in verse 22. If this was a movie, we'd all be yelling out, spoiler alert, right? Because when Jesus does rise from the dead, the disciples, they go back and they remember what he said in the temple. And actually what Jesus said in the temple when he is tried by this, his, these religious leaders, they're going to use this against him to crucify him. So there's a lot of foreshadowing here. There's a spoiler alert here. And they remember, the disciples remember, after Jesus is risen from the dead, they remember what was said there in the temple, and they remember and they believe all the more in Jesus. You see, faith family, this is what Jesus is all about. This is what all he's, he's all about. This is what he was passionate about. And this is what he's still passionate about. When Jesus displayed this zeal, this passion in the temple, he was making sure that the worship of God was not cheapened. That the glory of God was not tarnished. See, there was a time in history when God's glory was tarnished. It happened in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, when our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. They sinned. They rebelled against God, and then they were removed from his presence. But God gave a promise to them in the middle of that bad news that he was going to restore his presence. Then through Abraham and eventually his family, God uses a nation, Israel, a nation to make his presence known. Then these people find themselves in slavery in Egypt, and God sends a rescuer, Moses, to lead them out of Egypt. Why? Why did God send Moses to Egypt? So they could go and worship God. And, and after that, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And in the 40 years that they wander in the wilderness, and then they finally enter the promised land, they build a tabernacle where God would meet with his people and he would make himself known. As Israel settled, settled as a nation, they built a permanent structure, the temple, and they dedicated it to the glory of God. And God came and he filled that temple. The temple was a place where God meets with his people and they would offer a sacrifice for the, temp, for the atonement of their sins. The temple was a symbol, a structure that symbolized God is with us. But then a greater temple arrives on the scene. And he's going to make the, the structure of the actual temple obsolete. A greater temple comes. His name's Jesus. And Jesus tells the religious leaders, you will destroy this temple. 
talking about himself. You will destroy this temple, the place where people will come and be able to meet with God. I will be their mediator. They won't need you anymore. They won't need a priest anymore. They'll have me. I will be the temple. And you will attempt to destroy it. But I will raise it back in three days. And then they will then people, all people of all nations, will have a place to meet God. A place where they are accepted by God because of the sacrifice I made. That's what Jesus has done. He came and died in our place so our relationship with God could be restored. So that that communication, that relationship with God could be restored to where God's glory was no longer distorted. And Jesus was so passionate about people having a correct understanding of who God was that he came from the glories of heaven to show the world this is what God looks like. Look at me because I am God. And Jesus created a way for us to have the opportunity where Jesus is our temple. He is our mediator to where we can now communicate and have a relationship with God. Jesus came to this earth, and just like Jesus came to this earth, and just as he entered into the temple, Jesus has made a way for sin and darkness in our lives to be cleared out. He threw it all out so that our understanding of God will not be cheapened or misconstrued. Jesus done all this. Jesus cleanses us from our sin so that we can worship God and he can be glorified in us. And so you might be asking, Adam, this is all great information. What do I do with this? As the theme of the Gospel of John, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, believe. This is who Christ is. This is who Jesus is. So if you are here this morning and maybe you're a little bit skeptical about all this, maybe you're not sure about who Jesus is, look at what's been displayed here. All the scriptures tied to this. Believe in him. God came to this earth in Jesus to remove your confusion about who he is so you can have a relationship with your creator. And then if you're a believer here this morning, don't allow the worship of God to be cheapened. Don't allow things in your life to cheapen the worship of God. Don't allow things into our lives that can distort our viewpoint of God. May we have a clear understanding of who God is so we can worship him as we're going to see in a couple of weeks. That we can worship him in spirit and in truth. As a church, let's do our best to remove anything that could possibly cloud a clear presentation of who God is. Let's remove the things that could distort the character of God to our community and our world. That, that we will work together that the world, our community, will behold the glory of Christ and come to worship him as we worship him. Jesus came with a zealous passion for you so that you can understand who God is. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for, your, for the word here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the multiple layers that are here in this account. And God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that they don't understand who you are, they've never come into a relationship with you, that 
Jesus, that you would show them that you are the greatest temple, that you are the place where they can come and commune with you. Holy Spirit, open eyes to these wondrous truths about who God is. Call people to yourself. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers and followers of you. I pray that we would display that same passion that you have for us. That we would have a zeal for people to understand the glory of God. That we would do whatever it is necessary to make you known in our community, in our world. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask this. Amen.